Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guests are Natasha Funk, who is Sales Research Manager for Terra.com, and Ken Mallon, who is Vice President of Ad Effectiveness Consulting at Dynamic Logices, a Millward Brown company. Today we will discuss online research and ad effectiveness when targeting U.S. Latinos. Natasha, who joined the company in May of 2005, is responsible for all aspects of research for Terra.com, one of the nation's top U.S. Hispanic portals. During her time at Terra.com, she has leveraged internal and external research to drive sales, public relations, and business development. Natasha served as a moderator during the Association of Hispanic Advertising Agencies Media University's 2005 series of live webcasts with chats powered by Terra. She has also managed the growth and studies within Terra's large online research panel, Terra Selecto. She is the editor of Smart Marketer, a research newsletter with a focus on Hispanics online and emerging media. Prior to joining Terra.com, Natasha worked as a data warehouse administrator in the research department at the New York Times Digital in Manhattan. Before that, she worked as a database administrator for abuzz.com, a knowledge management community portal purchased by the New York Times. She also worked with Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati, Ohio, and Hewitt Associates in Lincolnshire, Illinois, in high-tech and market research. Natasha holds a Bachelor of Science in Computer Information Systems from Purdue University and West Lafayette, Indiana, and a Master of Liberal Arts with an emphasis in cultural anthropology from the University of Chicago in Illinois. Fluent in Spanish and English, Natasha is an Oracle-certified Oracle 8i database administrator. Ken earned advanced degrees from John Hopkins and Stanford with expertise in research methodology, mathematics, statistics, and marketing science. After working as a statistical scientist in the health and biotech arena for 10 years, Ken decided to apply his quantitative background at Yahoo, where he worked in data mining, primary research, and research product development for four years. Ken joined Dynamic Logic in 2004 and lives with his two children in the San Francisco area. Natasha and Ken, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks. Natasha, why don't you, if you would, give us a slight introduction to the topic, which is so broad and so rich, I think a lot of people are eager to hear about. Sure. Thank you, Elena. Uh, In general, online research from a portal perspective, as Elena had mentioned, is very broad. However, to frame our discussion, we could probably start with a definition. And the way how I think of online research, or another way to think about it, it's really audience intelligence. So I would like to briefly discuss the role of research for publishers and marketers from pre-sales to post-sales and provide examples along the way. Uh, Audience intelligence is critical for, for publishers and marketers alike. Publishers need to know who is visiting their site as well as overall population and online trends and everything in between in order to consider and prioritize site enhancements. So, for example, what are the top online categories among U.S. Hispanics? How do they differ from general market? Why? Uh, 
This is used to provide direction to prioritize our product, our projects for site enhancement here at Terra.com. On the other side, from marketers, starting with the pre-sales perspective, uh, audience intelligence and online research is critical for a media buy. Marketers use audience intelligence to allocate media buys for their clients during the pre-sale phase while they're considering making a purchase for an on to run an online campaign on a site. The way how the two come together is that marketers typically submit RFPs, otherwise known as requests for proposals, to publishers, typically through email, with a specific audience target in mind. Uh, for example, a financial firm that has a target audience of females 18 to 34 years old who personally own an education loan is highly desirable. This is our chance as a publisher to prove that we have the target audience sought after and perhaps over and beyond its competitive set. Syndicated services do exist, such as Comscore Media Metrics, which provide audience visitation metrics down to this level of detail. In many cases, it comes down to the numbers. If a publisher is able to prove that they have a greater number of visitors within a specific target audience, or a, highly, a higher quality of visitors or experience overall than its competitors, many times this is the linchpin to close a sale for an online advertising campaign. Once the campaign has finished, the need for audience intelligence is still there. The need for research and metrics continues from pre-sales to post-sales. Once a media buyer is able to convince their client such as our financial client in the previous example, to implement an online campaign on Terra, tools exist to provide the effectiveness of the campaign to a very fine level of detail. And this is something that we could expand upon uh, during our interview. Uh, the audience may be surprised as to the level of detail of analysis available. When an online advertising campaign first starts, the click-through rate was uh, the only metric used to gauge campaign effectiveness many, many years ago. Uh, a click-through rate is the percentage of impressions served that were actually clicked through by the visitor as opposed to only having the impressions served to the visitor. So imagine you're, you're on a site and you see a campaign and it's, you see online advertising. That would be the, we're able to measure that as the impressions served However, you may also perform the, act the action of clicking through the advertising campaign. So that is the action of the click-through, otherwise known as the click-through rate. For example, if a campaign is served 100,000 impressions in a month and receives 10,000 click-throughs on those impressions, the click-through rate is 10%. So the click-through rate is an important metric. Like I said, uh, when online advertising first started several years ago, it was sometimes only the, the only metric available to measure campaign effectiveness. Uh, it's particularly also important for a campaign that has conversions as a goal with the intent of purchasing their product or performing a specific action. However, campaigns may have more of a brand awareness goal rather than conversion. This is particularly pertinent for Hispanics, where over 70% of Hispanic adults are foreign-born. So for example, they may not even know how to, how to correctly pronounce target. 
the department store or much less what it is. So uh, branding for Hispanics uh, tends to be a, a desirable goal as well as purchase intent. Um, so regardless of the goal, whether it is brand awareness or purchase intent, where uh, purchase intent meaning the advertiser intends an action, whether it's e-commerce or to buy the product directly from their online campaign, um, there still obviously exists a need to prove this effectiveness of the, of the overall campaign. So one way to do so would be to run an online study called Ad Index from the research firm Dynamic Logic. And we're really fortunate enough to have Ken on the call with us as well to elaborate on Ad Index as well as the other capabilities available by, by DL, um, that's by Dynamic Logic. So Dynamic Logic basically has cracked the nut regarding online advertising campaign effectiveness. Uh, we know that a visitor receives many, many benefits to an advertising campaign beyond the click-through, whether it's click-through or not. So a visitor sees a brand, the message or tagline, for example, you're in good hands with Allstate, that could be part of the creative, and any other elements of the creative. Uh, the branding information is, is part of, of the campaign immediately. The visitor does not have to click through. So uh, the Ad Index study is able to measure campaign effectiveness, which is, which is really wonderful because there is a need for, for measuring campaign effectiveness and, uh, and moving forward using the learnings even for future creatives and for future advertising initiatives. So our procedure here at Terra is that we work closely with the agency and our client along with Dynamic Logic to create the online survey. That would be the first step. So once the survey is approved, we launch the survey online as soon as the campaign starts using cookie technology uh, from DL. Dynamic Logic is, a, is able to separate two groups of visitors. The two groups are those that have seen the campaign, or what we call the exposed group, and those that have not seen the campaign called the control group. Uh, this is important because m many times when visitors visit a site, they're only exposed to a handful of campaigns, depending on how many times they use a site. So with dynamic logic cookie technology, we're able to separate the two groups, the groups that have seen the campaign that we're studying and the group that has not. They're served the same survey at the same time online, so any difference between the two, the two groups, any difference between the two responses is attributable to the campaign on Terra, because that was really the only difference. So for example, we can say after our dynamic logic study, we can prove that brand awareness, a, a metric that was measured, exhibited a lift of 10% between the control and exposed groups. Um, so basically, uh, hopefully the audience has seen or has participated in online surveys. It's usually a floating invitation that pops up to say, would you like to take the survey? Once you click through, uh, you're asked a series of approximately 15 to 20 questions. One of the questions in this example is, have you seen the brand advertised online in the past 30 days? If you have, then then your answer is placed in the bucket of, of correct brand awareness that you have seen the campaign online. And 
any difference, like I said, between the, tr the two groups, control and exposed, of the metrics, um, not only brand awareness, but message association is another metric that is tested. A message is basically the tagline in the creative. So for example, this is obviously just an example, but for Allstate, their motto is, you're in good hands with Allstate. The message, you're, you're in good hands, may be placed in the creative, and the survey asks, do you remember seeing this, this message. So we test for message association uh, all the way through through brand favorability. Are you favorable to the brand in relation to its competitive set? And finally, purchase intent as well. Um, purchase intent can be, uh, yes, I am going to buy the online digital product advertised on, on the campaign or some specific action. I'm going to call the 1-800 number. Um, the other important thing to realize is that dynamic logic ad index studies are used not only for brand awareness campaigns, but for purchase intent campaigns as well, since they measure both metrics. Um, finally, when the results are presented to the client and agency with dynamic logic as support uh, present as well, uh, it's really exciting because there was so much involved all the way from developing the survey to waiting in anxious anticipation uh, for the results that many times the survey delivery is made to about 20 people at an agency ranging from senior directors to the media buyers to the creative designers as well. Um, that's an important point I think to, to make is that the, the survey results are so detailed that they even, Dynamic Logic even is able to give us specific pointers as to what we were doing well with the creative and suggestions for improvement. So back to the example of you're in good hands with Allstate, if that is a message uh, that was being tested and it may not have responded as well as we had thought, it may be, looking back at the creative, that the message either did not appear on all of the creative or it could have stood out a bit more. Um, so those types of learnings are, are really valuable and uh, our clients and agencies request these types of studies many, many times. We, we even have studies currently running on, on our network now that are at index studies. So. We're really fortunate to be living at this point in time where there's just so much information available either through syndicated sources, through our own internal surveys, or with research partner tools uh, such as Dynamic Logic. The, the first question that comes to my mind is, where do you start? If you're online and you've been so busy so far just getting your information online, that you haven't bothered with measurements, metrics, or any metrics or anything like that, and now you are at a point in your development where you realize, as you were saying earlier, Natasha, that as a publisher, you need to demonstrate to your audience, all the audiences, whether they're submitting editorial content or ads, everybody wants to know who you're reaching and how you're reaching them and where they are so that they can determine how valuable you are 
Right. Well, I would definitely suggest to just ask questions. Uh, our clients and agencies are definitely not shy when it comes to asking a wide variety of questions. Uh, just lately, the two requests that I had received from an agency is, uh, please send us your Hispanic 101 deck, everything from offline to online audience intelligence of your niche audience, so I can present it to my clients, all the way down to an example uh, like, I sh like I had shared, uh, the target audience, uh, the finance client with a specific target audience in mind, a female with student loans. So, so much information exists that it's really up to the, the client or the agency just to ask the right question. And we're certainly here to guide you as well. Uh, we also perform research, consulting, uh, and have a research database uh, ready to go. How much detail do you really have, and how do you gather the information while maintaining a balance on the privacy of the user? And sure. sure. I'm glad that you mentioned both points, the speed of response and the privacy. With the online tools available, uh, Information is, is readily available at, at my fingertips, and the sales teams also have this information, uh, for the most part, uh, usually available as well. Uh, Comscore has an amazing online interface, so I'm able to pull down to the, the level of target audience detail necessary, not only for us, but for our competitive set within just a few minutes. And we also subscribe to eMarketer, uh, the best way to describe eMarketer is uh, it's basically, it, eMarketer basically amasses mostly online, some offline research, and places them in interesting articles, reports, and even charts. And so they have an excellent search feature. If somebody would like to know broadband penetration in Latin America, I'm able to pull that certainly within a few minutes due to the online reporting functionality available from eMarketer. Uh, really, it's uh, so much information out there. It's, it's the only guideline that I would ask the clients and agencies is just to make sure that you're looking at and asking for the right information for you. Because again, there, there's so much out there that we can deliver within, within a few minutes. As far as the speed, uh, we know that that is a competitive advantage. We know that our clients are asking not only Terra, but other portals and sites as well. So we make it an effort to try to respond as quickly as possible. Uh, we definitely want to be one of the first responding to show that we have our act together. And uh, again, we think that, that the speed of response is a competitive advantage. Uh, we also know from our, from our clients that many times they, just, they need the information ASAP, just within, or certainly within 24 hours. So uh, we may lose the buy if we do not respond right away. As far as confidentiality, uh, I was very careful just to make sure that I was only talking about examples during my interview because it is a competitive advantage for our clients to leverage online research. So as much as I would be delighted to talk about the interesting findings specifically that and the pathways that we have opened up for our clients, um, I'm not able to do so. Actually, when I was referring to privacy, and, and of course I, I realized that there are some things that are proprietary, 
I was talking about the end user's privacy. In other words, and perhaps can some of this enters into your research mm -hmm. area, when you are gathering data, what steps are you able to take so that you are respecting the privacy of that end user? And what do you do, for example, when and there are users who don't allow cookies or pop-ups, et cetera, how do you work within those privacy parameters and what do you do when the traditional tools like cookies are not available to you? Yeah, so the way, you know, the, the language that's used in privacy is personally identifiable information, or PII. Personally identifiable information includes people's full name, their address, things like social security numbers and so forth. We don't collect any of that kind of information. We collect basic demographics. We don't ask people's names. And we never link their survey information to any specific information about that person. And so everything is kept um, anonymous in our research. We also don't combine their survey results with any of their online browsing behavior so that we can keep all that separate as well. How much information is it reasonable to request, and what kind of information is truly useful? I realize that every project and every client is going to have different requirements, but is there sort of a model that we can use as a point of departure? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, there are certain questions that are known to be taboo or difficult to get good responses on. Um, and it also varies a lot by culture. I mean, asking questions about income, sexual preference, and other things, um, sometimes you don't get reliable answers. Most of the analysis that we do um, is at the creative level rather than at the individual level. So rather than analyzing based on all the uh, individual characteristics, although of course we have things like age and gender and geography. Um, a lot of our analysis has to do with uh, media analysis, comparing websites, or comparing different ad formats, creative themes, and so forth. And so a lot of the focus that our clients have is on which creatives are working best, which, which um, website placements are the most effective. Of course, they do want to understand some audience segments um, but that tends to be, um, you know, not very intrusive um, to the audience. Questions about, you know, do you own a pet? Do you um, buy products in the carbonated beverage category? That kind of thing, which are not very intrusive. This would be from the perspective of the surveys that you're asking your um, clients to fill out for you. If you are a potential advertising client, who is approaching a publisher like Terra.com, mm -hmm. for example, what kind of information is it reasonable to request from the publisher and expect that a small to medium company, for example, be able to provide? Obviously, the big players all have all the media matrix available. But let's just look at the... the, the um, point where a small publisher, which I understand is the vast majority of publishers online, according to Google, um, is that right? Yes. So if, if we look at 
small to medium, and of course from there on the sky's the limit, what kind of information is it reasonable to request from a publisher if you're thinking of placing an ad or an ad campaign? I think that's a great question. And uh, luckily, I had just received a request touching on this subject. Again, it is a competitive advantage for our advertisers and clients to leverage audience intelligence. And luckily, our, our clients have recognized that, that we definitely have not only the, the tools available, but uh, a certain way of presenting the information that makes it, it much easier for the clients and agencies to convince uh, the decision powers, whoever they may be, for an online advertising buy. So in this particular example, I had sent a, a client uh, not only the research deck or the channel deck specifically on their vertical of interest, so let's say it's finance, it the deck alone probably contains about 30 or 40 slides, starting from offline information to general market to Hispanics, and then finally uh, the vertical itself of finance, and then how Hispanics uh, react and differ compare and, and contrast to general market. So it's a fairly thick deck. They already have this information. I've written a research newsletter on that topic, and they still are asking for more information. So what we're noticing is that with research, there is definitely an art involved, including dynamic logic, of all the information that they've collected with their online surveys. Their research presentations are, are fairly easy to, to understand, are very easy to understand and contribute to decision-making um, actionability. So along with the art, for example, uh, that I had spoken about, if a publisher, small or medium or large, is, is able to subscribe to Comscore media metrics, then they're able to fairly easily compare general market against U.S. Hispanic for certain behaviors, everything from category usage to the audience uh, demographics, audience usage, and trends going to the site of the competitor. So what I'm going to be doing after this call is to pull specific information about the, the brand, about the client, any type of trends, uh, as Ken was saying, also looking at the audience, audience segments, who are the heavy users, what is the target audience that seems to be resonating well already, and to provide more in-depth analysis. So uh, I guess the answer is, is that they know that we can pull this type of information and that um, is, is definitely valuable. I think I might be able to add a little bit to that as well. I think most of the advertisers and agencies that we work with rely on um, third parties like Comscore and Nielsen Net Ratings to get audience information about um, websites. For websites that are too small to um, appear in those um, panel-based audience information, um, there's some other um, sources that they can go to. Some of these smaller websites belong to ad networks, and sometimes the ad networks will report out demographics and other kinds of information. Also, some of these smaller websites do their own um, commissioned audience profiling work that gives them statistics that they can report that come from a third party. In addition to understanding the audience information, um, some of our advertisers and, and agencies also come to us to get information about the branding impact that they might expect on different websites. And so if you know that 
an ad running on site A is likely to make 5% of the people who see the ad uh, become aware of the brand, whereas on site B it's only 3%. You could have two websites that have identical audiences, but for whatever reason the ad, the receptivity of ads is higher on one site than the other. And so it's more than just a question of audience, it's about impact as well. And so audience times impact can tell you how many people you're going to impact per dollar spent, and that's some of the kinds of analyses that we do on a custom basis for advertisers. Natasha talked a few minutes ago about click-through and how historically this was the universe when you were talking about the importance or the relevance of a particular site. Where are we in that cycle, if you will? How important are click-through rates today? Well, I mean, this is uh, an area that I know a bit about because I worked at Yahoo, as you mentioned, for four years during the early days of the Internet um, before coming to Dynamic Logic. In the early days of the Internet, a lot of the advertisers were e-commerce advertisers. So they were interested in showing an ad, getting someone to click on that ad, go to a website and buy something. We now know that this is a pretty ambitious goal and that it, there's a lot more to marketing and um, online is no exception, is that you need to, you need to court um, the person that you want to eventually buy your product. Um, you don't walk up to a stranger and propose marriage. And so um, online is no different from a marketing perspective. You need to move people through the funnel from awareness to differentiation, favorability, and then eventual purchase. Um, in the early days of the Internet, people were very interested in click-through rate because um, people who managed and built websites got uh, compensated based on the traffic that they drove. What we're now learning is that it's not so important to bring people to your website as it is to bring your content to them. And so what we're seeing more of now are ads that run online where the content is accessible within the ad and the person never needs to leave the website. Um, that they're on. So you could be on your favorite uh, Terra website and still be able to look at the content from the advertiser without having to leave Terra. We're seeing more and more of that. That being said, there's certainly a very strong interest continues to be in direct response online advertising. By that I mean people that are buying um, search um, marketing and people that are running direct response type ads that say click here and buy now. That being said, the bigger marketers, um, the Sonys and uh, the GMs and the Procter & Gamble's of the world are doing a lot of brand advertising online. And um, they are becoming uh, increasingly uh, less driven by click-through rates and more and more interested in the branding impact of those ads. Uh, if I were to quantify it, um, I would say that uh, probably maybe a third of the total ad dollars spent um, are, are um, brand-oriented and don't have much interest in click-through rate, and that's a big increase from what it was before. I would say as recently as four years ago, nearly every campaign online had a click-through rate goal. So that is, that's a big difference that we have to look at today. Yeah, I think a lot of it is because the ads themselves have become more sophisticated is that there, there's a potential to interact with ads without having to click. 
um, and you can you know get more information about the product. And there's a lot of um, categories where this is very helpful. You look at pharmaceutical, for example, where you might have a brand, but by hovering over the ad, you can find out all kinds of information about the product. Same thing with automotive. You have a picture of the car, maybe a price, but by hovering over it, you can enter your zip code. You can find out the dealer near you. You can rotate the vehicle. You can look inside and outside without ever leaving the web page. How do you measure the response of the audience to those ads if they're not clicking anywhere? Yeah, Dynamic Logic is not in the business of measuring click-through rates or conversions. We're only interested in the attitude, the impact that those ads have on people's attitudes towards the brand. So after people see the ad or don't see it in the case of the control group, we survey them. And so um, we invite them to participate in a survey and we ask them questions um, such as the ones that have been described. If we now take all of the things that we've discussed and we shift our attention to the U.S. Hispanic market, how does that affect what we've been saying? In other words, is the Hispanic market in the same place as the general market when it comes to online advertising and publishing? Um, is language an issue? And um, is measurement in the same place as we were discussing a moment ago from the mainstream market? Definitely. Uh Although we still have some room to grow, uh, one of the major headways is that Comscore Media Metrics does measure sites in Spanish for their behavioral reporting called Plan Metrics, and uh, it is the only company that is doing so. So the example that I gave of the, of the female uh, target audience with a student loan, that type of information from a syndicated perspective is available for sites uh, predominantly in Spanish as well. And that has really been a breakthrough as far as helping for media buys. It's like uh, the dam broke <laughs> um, since that has been available in general market for a while now. Uh, again, Comscore has the Hispanic service. It's easy to compare to the general market online. Um, but we definitely still have some room to go. For example, for Comscore's behavioral reporting called Plan Metrics, the audience, their panelists, are asked their questions or surveyed in English. So the responses, even though you are a visitor of a site in Spanish, uh, you, sh you have to know how to speak or are comfortable with the English language. And what we're asking them to do is, if possible, if you could please try to recruit for uh, the Spanish only or Spanish preferred as well. So another uh, caution to the audience, if you will, would be to please make sure that you know uh, what these small nuances are. Uh, it's definitely the responsibility of the requester uh, to know the representation of the audience being measured. I think the importance of copy testing, which we haven't really talked about yet, and in-market brand impact measurement is, is high across all ethnic groups. Um, I think the Hispanic market is exciting just because of its growing and in increased um, financial um, security. And so I think, you know, I, I think it's just important to, to do those things regardless of what, what ethnic group you're, you're talking about and, um, you know, 
understanding what the impact is of those ads and trying to trying to create good ads to begin with um, is going to help the advertiser a lot. In terms of languages, um, what we would typically do is we match the language of the survey to the language that the ad um, was in. And the language of the ad is, is typically the same as the language um, of the website. And so we, you know, we select, um, what it, we choose a language um, that goes into that survey um, based on, again, the advertising and the website. Yes, definitely for the Dynamic Logic campaigns running on, on Terra, if it's for U.S. Hispanic or, or Spanish language properties, then the online surveys are in Spanish. If it is running on Terra Brazil, then the language is Portuguese. Are you able to subdivide the U.S. Hispanic online audience, which I understand is at about 16 million? Is that correct? Seven, 17 million as of August 2007. Okay, thank you. <laughs> We're looking at an audience of about 17 million people. What percentage of those online surfers are bilingual? What percentage are English dominant? What percentage are Spanish dominant? Do we have a breakdown, a working breakdown that you're using? Um, yes. Actually, uh, it is around 26% that are Spanish preferred over 50% that are bilingual, and then the rest are, are English preferred. Uh, however, from our internal surveys and what we know about our audience, it is important to realize that Hispanics are to some degree more or less bilingual anyway. So there are two main ways to get to the language preference of our audience. The first is just to ask them what uh, language do you prefer to speak in the home, either Spanish preferred, English preferred, or both Spanish and English equally. And in our internal surveys, it usually hovers around 75% Spanish preferred. Uh, so we, we over-index with the Spanish preferred audience. However, uh, their media consumption, as far as the sites that they visit, as far as the language that they watch for TV, for the movies, is, is language agnostic. and. Uh, they are consuming general market English-only content as well. So again, it's just a caution to publishers that just because it is a language preferred to speak in the home or even the language that you're surfing online, it really is, an, it is not an indication of uh, language ability, uh, since most Hispanics are bilingual to, to some degree or another. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree with that. That's the same you know, ballpark information that we would have as well. Lately, I've been hearing from marketers and advertisers increasingly talk about that word that you mentioned, Natasha, language agnostic, the fact that they are producing ads that have no language, meaning no dialogue, or that are so universal that within the Western culture, they would be something that most people could relate to. Is this something that you're seeing? Uh, no, actually, uh, what, what we're seeing is that advertisers uh, in the general market, uh, English only, are, are embracing uh, the Spanish preferred audience, really catering to their needs. Uh, if you go and visit Terra.com, for example, most of the campaigns are in Spanish. We do have a few areas that have English content, which would be obviously predisposed for, for English 
creative, uh, but even all the way through to the click-through uh, of the landing page uh, is known to be, uh, in many cases, translated to, to Spanish. And what we know from research is that Spanish is basically, the Spanish language is the glue for Hispanics. According to Cinevate, Spanish is the first language that an individual, a Hispanic, has learned how to speak. And in 2006, it has remained relatively relatively strong. In 2006, it's 86% of Hispanics in the U.S. still have Spanish as a first language spoken um, in, the, in the home. So uh, it, it ranges anywhere from high 90s to mid 80s, all the way back from 1987. And as such, uh, the first language of any individual is, is very special because it's the language that the world is introduced to you and that you are introduced to the world. So even for the English preferred, they may have a mother that was Spanish preferred. They may have a grandmother that was Spanish only. So they may uh, still recognize the effort that general market, uh, predominantly English only firms are making to reach out to, to the Hispanic audience. Are there particular areas that resonate more with Hispanic online visitors compared to offline or compared to the mainstream? Sure. Uh, well, we know that overall U.S. Hispanics exhibit high online engagement in comparison to general market. Uh, they average 90.7 average minutes per usage day versus 87.5 minutes for the U.S. general market. So they tend to spend more time online per, per usage day, and they're also more active. Uh, they have usually uh, 143 average pages per usage day versus 130 for the general market, and this is quoting Comscore August 2007, so it is the most recent data available. So not only do they spend more time, and they seem to be more engaged, but they also have a demographic that's highly desirable for marketers. They, they skew much younger uh, online and offline, and they come from larger families. So um, up to 27%, this is, again, August 2007 from Comscore, up to 27% of the Hispanic online audience is under 18 years old. This is in, this is in comparison to 18% for the general market. Um, and the other another desirable target audience is the 18 to 34-year-olds, well, 37% of Hispanics are online, are within this group, versus 29% from the general market. And then moving along to the household size, 39% of Hispanics online live in a household with five or more individuals, which is, again, highly desirable for marketers because if you're able to reach one person within the household that's favorable to your brand, then they act as brand ambassadors and talk amongst their friends and family within their household and spread the word through uh, viral marketing, word of mouth, if you will. Now, within the categories that seem to be resonating well as far as the greatest growth from year to year, community, entertainment, careers, and education are driving the largest gains for Hispanics. So uh, it was community, entertainment, careers, and education, are categories online that are driving the largest gains of visitation among the U.S. Hispanic online audience. 
So, for example, uh, training and education has increased 41% to 1.3 million Hispanic online visitors per month. Um, this is August 2007, quoting Comscore again. Uh, the community category, the women subcategory, increased 67% to 6.3 million Hispanics online in August 07, visiting content within that category. So uh, it just shows that Hispanics are, are highly desirable, not only for what they're doing online, uh, but where they're visiting and their demographics as well. The words brand ambassadors and spreading the word and viral marketing seem to be really hot lately. And they make me ask the following question. Traditionally, when we looked at print media, they talked about a pass-through rate for a magazine or a newspaper. It's a multiplier of three or four or X number, depending on the publication. Is there an equivalent to that online? In other words, if you have a household that is larger than the average, does that mean that you are reaching a broader audience, even though there might only be one computer in a house, for example? Sure. Um, that would definitely be true, uh, both online and offline for Hispanics, that you are reaching a, a larger core audience, if you will, because of the larger household size. But uh, back to online measurement, it goes beyond the members of your household. You have your distribution list of your email. You have your distribution list of chat. And portals make it very, very easy to plug in your campaign for viral marketing. You can send the video to the friend. The video has, has your advertising on it, not only to your friend and family, but to the other people in your, in your circuit around the world. And these are metrics that can also be measured as far as the sharing capabilities. Uh, that would be for viral marketing. And then, of course, there is also the whole UGC perspective where uh, we could also have a client interested in having a blogosphere just, just for their brand, just to have people talk about their particular product. And the measurement would be there as far as number of blogs, number of threads, and of course the content that would be shared back with the client as well. I think what's different and interesting about online is is that you can actually choose to show the ads to people that have the propensity for viral or word of mouth communication. Whereas if you're buying an ad in a magazine, um, it's you can't do that. You can't just have the ads appear in the magazine to certain people and not to other people. Um, unless you're doing some local advertising or something like that. So with online, because you have the ability to target on a one-to-one -one basis, um, there's a potential to really leverage um, viral users. Is there a way to say, I'm reaching a higher number or an X number because I'm reaching a Hispanic household, X publisher is reaching, is having a broader reach because it's reaching a predominantly Hispanic audience, and we know that there are more people in the household likely to be exposed to that website. Yes, uh, actually, there is a way. Uh, it would have to require quite a bit of analysis. Uh, one of our partners, for example, is Cosmopolitan. We are the official site of Cosmopolitan Online, so they're very familiar with the pass-through of their offline magazines. and. It is something that we're in dialogue with them as far as 
trying to quantify exactly what you're talking about, Elena. Uh, not only the, our offline reach with Cosmo, but how it has expanded online and the duplication. But that requires quite a bit of analysis. Uh, we may even be hiring a separate firm to help us with this to, to get to the number, to get to the percentage lift. I think a more direct way to talk about the advantage is that um, amongst those Hispanic households that actually buy the product, they're going to have to buy more of it. You know, let's say you're advertising shampoo. Um, because of a larger household, they're going to need to buy a larger quantity. Because, um, you know, pass-through is a little difficult to measure because, you know, if, if, I, if I'm in a household, Hispanic household, and I see an ad, and then, um, I, you know, my child comes over to the computer later, they may or may not see that same ad. But if I'm the primary um, person in the household who makes the purchasing decisions, I'm likely to end up buying a larger quantity. So I think that's one of the reasons why Hispanic households are desirable to target. Yeah, finally, actually, with, with Comscore, with the plan metrics, they do have behavior. Uh, this is particularly adaptable for the pharmaceutical clients. We're able to know uh, if the particular visitor of our site has a certain affliction, let's say allergies. Uh, then another question that we're able to determine is whether anyone in their household exhibits the allergy um, affliction as well. And then we could do a comparison between general market and theoretically because Hispanics have a higher household, a uh, higher number of individuals in the household, then they should over-index in, in certain cases. What about the brand oriented ads, um, Ken, that you were talking about earlier, you said that in the mainstream about one-third of ads today are brand-oriented versus click-through or purchase-oriented. Is that percentage the same among Hispanic online surfers? And are there any category differences? You had talked about pharmaceuticals and cars in the mainstream. Are those the same categories? Are there any differences? Well, first, um, just to uh, clarify a little subtly about um, the branding percentage that I gave, I think most online ads have some sort of branding component. What I was saying about that one-third figure is that about a third of the ads um, are, are absent of a, of a click-through goal. And so um, um, I do think that mostly online ads have some sort of branding that's, that's going on. But in combination, they have some sort of a click-through or web traffic goal. Um, only about a third of the online ads um, is, are really being measured um, primarily on branding. Regarding um, differences in terms of effectiveness of, of ads, um, Hispanics versus non-Hispanics, um, I'd love to say that there's a clear-cut answer on there, but I think there actually needs to be more research. Um, Hispanic population has been somewhat under-researched under in terms of, of ad effectiveness um, despite the great efforts of Terra, and we just need more people um, doing more and more of this so that we can add to our, to our um, growing database of nearly 4,000 ad campaigns. Um, but just, we just don't have enough of them that are Hispanic yet to be able to draw conclusions um, at a category level as to any differences that we see. Is there any information, and perhaps this is a topic for a, a future discussion, 
But is there any information out there on social networking and blogging and podcasting and video podcasting, et cetera, specific to U.S. Hispanics and, of course, advertising components? Um, I often get asked about sort of the newer things that can be done online, um, user-generated content, um, podcasts, blogs, and so forth. And, um, yeah, there is a growing amount of data on that. There's some really interesting things going on with the social networking in terms of measuring, for example, the viral impact when people can pass along, um, uh, you know, ask, inviting friends to come and, and join, you know, a branded experience. Um, that being said, what I often advise people is to is to focus on uh, and master the core elements of online first. And by that I mean put the right amount of advertising into search, um, have, understand the right way to do um, display advertising in terms of which websites are going to work best for them, what's the right exposure frequency, um, what are the right ad sizes and ad formats, and then also I think mastering video um, is important. You know, knowing what the right video length is, just having a good system in place for getting video ads out in the marketplace. Once you nail down that, then you can begin to tip your toe and experiment in some of the newer areas, such as social networks. And when you do that, it's really important to measure the effectiveness, because if you're going into an area you haven't done before and you're experimenting, um, it's important not to, not to rely solely on click-through rate metrics, because uh, the whole metric landscape changes when you get into some of these other areas. And the consistent thing across it is, you know, the brand impact, you know, methodology where you can uh, compare apples to apples. I'm glad that Ken mentioned some of the metrics, some of the additional metrics available from an ad index perspective. They also provide analysis on frequency. Uh, for example, if you were exposed only only once, what were your results? If you were exposed more than once, and what would be the ideal frequency level, as well as the ad units that seem to resonate better? What changes, trends, do you envision in the areas of online publishing, ads, and measurement, specifically, of course, relating to Hispanic markets, maybe things that already have taken hold in the mainstream and you think are going to be very powerful with Hispanics, or maybe things that are specific to the Hispanic market. Do you see anything out there that's really, that really has the potential to become very popular? Actually, uh, one of the statistics that I like to think about uh, very frequently is the shift of the worldwide population and where their attention is, is shifting from a regional perspective. So uh, Comscore released these figures just last year, but 76% uh, of visitors uh, overall were located outside of the U.S., but 10 years ago, the U.S. accounted for 66%. So we're seeing a flip. Uh, it truly is the World Wide Web. Uh, as such, marketers need to understand this and ask for research on a regional, on a global perspective, not only uh, U.S. Hispanic, and then obviously compare and contrast. And 
um, I see this figure only increasing. The number of visitors outside of the U.S. will just continue to grow and grow as the World Wide Web enriches itself. Uh, one of the things that makes the World Wide Web special is that it's almost uh, individually agnostic, meaning that you do not have to have uh, graduated from Ivy League. You do not even have to speak English. If you have a good idea, if you have a good product, uh, just create your own blog and go from there. And what we're starting to see are emerging are individuals with their own specific niche. Again, uh, from uh, an educational, from a regional uh, perspective, it does not really matter where you're located, where you're from, as long as you have a product or an idea that is resonating well with the online audience, then it's going to take off and it's going to take off rapidly. So that makes that makes the whole arena just very exciting for all of us. I think the most exciting thing that I see and that I think is going to grow in the future is um, video ads online. Um, video ads a couple years ago were pretty rare, but it's rapidly growing and I think um, as broadband penetration increases, it becomes there's more and more households that can easily uh, watch video content online and see video ads online. And there's so many TV shows that now have um, either entire programs or snippets um, online that I think um, video ads are here to stay and are going to grow fast. And there's a new format of video ad that's pretty interesting um, where during the, the video content, the program that you're watching, there's a tiny ticker across the bottom with an ad that if you click on it, it makes the program stop and pause for a second while you watch it. It's almost like you know enjoying uh, your DVR at home from TV. So I think it's an ad format we're seeing more on TV as well where there's um, usually uh, TV shows that are advertised within a TV show with a ticker along the bottom and you can't click on it. But in the online world, these new kinds of um, video ads are pretty exciting. And I, I think eventually um, all video advertising will be in that kind of ticker format that is non-interruptive and uh, I think is very interactive. Yeah, just to give a quick example, uh, for example, RBD was the music group that won the Terra Prize recently for uh, the best music, Latino-Hispanic music group uh, out of, and maybe out the more kind of general market aware groups or individuals such as the Ricky Martins and the Shakiras. And that said quite a lot about the online audience. I mean, first of all, they're, they're savvy, and um, RBD obviously is very well known now, but the fact that they were on the pulse and were able to, to vote them to win uh, is says quite a bit. So it, I think uh, it's it's actually a throwback to you, Elena, working in the press, how uh, especially youth is is looking for news, searching for their their favorite artists online, almost independent of what the offline press <laughs> may be doing. Are there tips that you might share with our audience, say one to three tips, on how to get their arms around these challenging issues of online content? and information availability, ad measurement, and surveys, how can they get their, take their first step, if you will, 
related to the Hispanic market? Sure. Well, uh, we definitely want to answer all of your questions because we would like to convince you to to purchase uh, an online campaign on, on Terra. So as such, we go to great lengths not only to answer your questions but to respond as quickly as possible. My main tip is definitely ask a lot of questions and be very demanding. So uh, we definitely have the research available from a macro to a very fine macro level. Run online surveys either through dynamic logic or internally. Um, and it isn't just a one-shot effort. Uh, we've had clients that have run dynamic logic surveys for five years in a row. And it's basically taking the learnings and then adapting them to the new campaign, taking learnings again. And it's always a learning process. Uh, and, to, and to always just ask for more. So we have a number of, of partners. Uh, we have Revenue Science for behavioral targeting, just like General Market. Uh, we have Dart Adapt for, with DoubleClick that optimizes campaign delivery as well. These partners, including Dynamic Logic, have reports available for you uh, through through a publisher or through Terra. So just ask for as much information as possible. Uh, the more information that you have, the more prepared you are to make your, your decisions, not only from uh, what you have on your plate right now, but ongoing for renewals. Yeah, with, you're talking about um, advertiser who's not yet doing much online, who's thinking about doing more. Is that where you're? Um, I'm talking about anybody, really, whether it's a publisher who is trying to get their, his or her arms around how to provide the data to an online advertiser who is trying to decide how to approach the Hispanic online market and how to measure the results. Yeah, I think a publisher kind of walks a little bit of a fine line because on the one hand, the advertisers and agencies um, want the third-party data, but often the publisher has more granular information but at the same time, it's not um, necessarily third party. So you have to kind of balance between those two data sources. But I think it's important to get both. Um, and so I think you know publishers need to need to offer that up. They need to do um, quite a bit of their own research about the their audiences and figure out uh, what kind of surveys they need to do that's going to appeal to um, the target categories they're going after. So if they're going going after automotive, for example, they're going to want to survey their user base about. Um, seeing what percentage are in market for different kinds of vehicles and how much they spent on their last car and, you know, that type of thing, wh how many vehicles they currently own in the household. So all that kind of research, um, all the smart publishers are currently doing, and I think uh, other publishers would do. From the advertiser standpoint, I think, um, you know, without uh, trying to, out our own services, but we have um, a product called Market Norms, which is a database of all the campaigns we've ever measured. And it's a database that people use for planning purposes as well. So they can go into there and they can say, look at a given category and understand you know, what sort of ad sizes are going to work best, what website categories are likely to work best, what's the right exposure frequency, and really learn a lot from other people's successes and failures without having to um, spend the money on all that advertising. So before even launching a campaign, they can get quite a bit of information. So I think it's important before the campaign to dig into the data that exists already, um, test, your, test your creative and test your copy, 
And then during the campaign, it's really important to measure its effectiveness, not just from a click standpoint, but also um, branding to compare yourself to um, the norms that are out there. Thank you, Natasha and Ken, for joining us today from South Florida. Thank you, Elena. You're very welcome. And uh, San Francisco, California. Yes. <laughs> and to our audience, thank you for listening to Natasha Funk, who is Sales Research Manager for Terra.com, and Ken Mallon, who is Vice President of Ad Effectiveness Consulting at Dynamic Logic, a Millward Brown company, about online research and ad effectiveness when targeting U.S. Latinos. Brought to you by Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicNPR.com, providing you essential information on America's largest minority. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com. For more information on how to reach Hispanics with marketing and public relations tools, visit our resources section at www.hispanicmpr.com. That's www.hispanicmpr.com.